and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. Don't you think about You will bring about Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. We're going to be talking about dementia care. Is it different over in Malaysia than where you live? Our guest today lives in Malaysia. She's going to share her story with us about caring for a loved one. Now, if you are new to Alzheimer's Speaks, you might not know what all we do here and why we do it. Bottom line, my my own mother had dementia for 30 years. And so that's what made me step into this. I wanted to bring people services, products, and tools and connect them uh, to others uh, that are going through the same thing, that have brilliant resources. And so, you know, maybe you could be our next guest. We interview people who are living with dementia, family members, um, a variety of businesses, researchers, advocates, children, authors, movie directors, you name it. We want to talk to you because that's how we make sustainable change by being inclusive of all. So if you're interested, reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Now, before I introduce our guests, I'm going to do a couple of shout outs. One is please check out alzheimerspeaks.com. We've updated the site. It's very easy to maneuver. In fact, we have one full section dedicated to free educational resources. And there's a big variety there from dementia in the arts and dementia chats and the radio show to dementia quick tips, information on memory cafes, dementia-friendly communities, and then of course, dementia map. You can also access from there, or you can go directly to DementiaMap.com, which has been a dream of mine for almost 40 years. And that is a a global resource directory that also has a calendar of events. We've got like 150 categories that you can search in a variety of different ways, wonderful blog articles, and so much more. And then um, again, back on AlzheimerSpeaks.com, I just released uh, with Scott Carlson my keynote speech in book form, and it's a children's book called Betty the Bald Chicken, and I am just so thrilled with with how that turned out, the feedback we've been getting, so please feel free to go to alzheimerspeaks.com forward slash book, and you can get information on how to order that if you'd like. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we will be right back. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. 
Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, we are back, and we are going to learn about dementia care over in Malaysia. And today, I'm going to be talking with with Sharifa Terher. Like I said, she lives in Malaysia. She's a full-time care partner by choice since 2014. She is now using not only her personal experience, but she's been trained through Tifa Snow's positive approach to care, and she is uh, certified in that in order to support others as well. So she's a powerful dementia advocate. She focuses on empowerment, meaningful engagements with persons with the lived experience as a right. And she also is addressing dementia from a social disability model. Today, we're going to hear part two of two with Sharifa Tahir. I do understand people who do not have relationship with the person they're care partnering with or mm-hmm. people who did not choose to be in this position. Mm-hmm. I can see where they are going problems and I don't judge and I don't expect people to judge me either because I have had people... And I know, I think they, they, they say it without malice, but to say that, Sharifa, you're wasting your talents. Your mother does not recognize you anyways. Why don't you get a helper to take care of her and you go out and work? I, I you know, I was numbed, Lori. When this person said that to me, I was really numbed. I, I could not believe a mother could say that to, to another person. I... I just couldn't believe it. So yeah. I think, you know, the, the, I don't, we don't judge people mm-hmm. who make this decision to either take on this role or not. People who struggle, they are real struggle. Uh, we all, you know, we've acknowledged how difficult it is, but it doesn't have to be that difficult. There are ways there are strategies that you know we within us and outside us that we can employ to support us on this journey oh i i totally agree i had the same thing with friends and it was interesting i found there were two camps of friends and both would ask how is my mom doing and one would ask because they really cared and they wanted to support me on the journey and the other one wanted me to give or wanted to give me permission to never go see her again. And, and what I realized was it was because they were so uncomfortable with what to say or do to yeah. assist me. And again, so much of what they heard was so negative. You know, they never heard about kind of the positive aspects. And like you said earlier, you know, life is about adjustment. That's what we do throughout our whole life. And now all of a sudden, that's supposed to come to a halt. And you know, <laughs> and it's weird, kind of like people look at someone with dementia, too. And, you know, they they want that old person back, you know, they're so worried, they're not going to remember the old person, but look in the mirror, you're not the same person. You know, absolutely. We're, you know, we're all changing and morphing. And, 
And so, but I think it's that, it's that fear of not wanting to, not wanting to let go. Um, have you ever thought of what your life would look like if, if you didn't make this decision to care for your mom? Um, I think I would be working 15, 18 hours a day, traveling the world, uh, and still not knowing my, what my purpose um I you know I don't regret quitting my career um I love not I mean I'm working 24 7 but within the 24 7 you know when my mom naps I nap too Mm -hmm. she eats well I eat well too um and there's some perks that people give priority to her when we go out I enjoy that Yes, they are the ugly side of it. Uh, but I look out for the positive. At the same time, though, I think this is important to remember that just because we look out for the positives, just because we treasure the, the positive, doesn't mean we are in denial of the negatives. Because I, I go through with the flow. I get angry. I get upset. I cry. I acknowledge my grief. I acknowledge that, ooh, you know, I made a mistake there. I could have done better. I process it, and then I move on. See, and I think that's really wise. And I, to me, I think that's why we have a lot of mental health problems in the world, is people are denying their emotions. And then they, they you know, yeah. build up, and then poof, you know, we really have yeah. some issues. I also love that you pointed out that just because I focus on the joy doesn't mean I'm not acknowledging the other half, but it's the, <laughs> yin, and the, it's the yin and the yang. You can't have Absolutely. joy without sadness. You know, you, I mean, <laughs> you, you couldn't compare the two if you weren't looking at both. And, um, but again, it's, what do you want to remember? What do you want to find? Because uh, one of the things I always mention to people is you will find what you're looking for. So if you're looking Absolutely. for problems, if you're looking for the sadness, if you want to be scared, if you want to be fearful, oh, it, there's plenty. It, there's, there's plenty in your life before dementia hits too, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you want to, you know, really create joy, and if you want to, you know, be able to have more of that in your life, you have to actively, consciously be looking for it. It's not just going to knock you on the head and go, hey, I, you know, this, this is a joyful moment, Lori. It doesn't work like that. You know, you have to be yeah. very conscious. And, and the other thing that I have found, too, is that the only time that you can recognize joy or create it is in the present moment. Absolutely. And Absolutely. That, and that one was a big aha moment for me on that one, you know. Because uh, there's a lot of people think, oh, you know, living in the moment, that's all woo woo wee. And I mean, there's all kinds of different impressions out there and, and stuff. And it's yeah. like, it's not, it's just about um, a life perspective of what do you want? What do you want to draw into your life? I completely agree, Lori. You know how multitasking is such a virtue? Oh, yeah. I've realized I hate multitasking now. I mean, I have to do it sometimes mm-hmm. but I hate it now whereas before like oh I'm you know superwoman could I, I can multitask now I just enjoy and part of you know my respite is 
having my ice cream on the balcony and just sitting and telling myself I'm eating this ice cream. I'm really having and enjoying my ice cream. And that's my five minutes or 10 minutes, or it could be my latte, or it could be just holding my mother's hand while she's napping. Yeah. Because things can just shift and she doesn't know that who is this person lying next to her and things could go wrong. But having just that peaceful mo moment of holding my mother's hand and lying next to her and just focusing on that, that to me is my respite. And that to me when my cortisol levels all go down. Oh, I love you mentioning that because I think so many times people think with, with respite um, care, it, someone else has to be doing it, but we can do it ourselves when we appreciate those moments when, like you said, yeah. you nap when she naps, you know, be joyful, be calm when, yeah. when she yeah. is. And I know for me, I used to be, you know, my mom would be content and I'd be running around like a chicken with my head cut off, multitasking, going, I got stuff on my list to do. I got to do stuff yes. on my list. Instead of just sitting there, taking a breath, calming myself down. And, and when you're yes. calmer and more collective, you're more efficient and you probably recognize there's some stuff on your list you don't need to do. <laughs> that really isn't important. Yes. 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 Who cares if the dishes do not get washed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, minor who, detail, who really. Exactly. Whereas before, you know, I'm just so anal about it that the dishes has to be clean. But now I'm like, no, I need my sleep. I yeah. know my priorities. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend my, my mom is in a stellar mood. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop everything. I'm just going to enjoy that moment with her. Yeah. So you're right. It's, it's, it's yeah yeah I, when I was younger they used to call me the white tornado everything had to be in its place all the time and stuff and I'm 63 now and it's not like that at all it's just not that important um to yeah. me and uh it is funny uh what a, what a difference that makes one of the things I really want to talk to you about is your advocacy work in Malaysia and since you yeah. you know we're here in the states and have traveled around the world one question I'm really interested in asking you is what are some of the differences you see in how we care in different countries? Um, to be honest, my, my care has been this experience. Mm -hmm. uh, when I, with my job, mm -hmm. the travel was in public health and development. And yeah, that, you can't say that's care, care work also because mm -hmm. We're looking at how, you know, how to offer services to people. Um, I think, you know, there's just huge diversity of care. And for me, what's really interesting in the context of care for within the context of a, the family mm -hmm. is um, how we perceive it. You know, we hear a lot the burden of care partnering, the burden of care partnering. And I thought, yeah, there's burden. But if I were to switch that B burden into B blessing, my world just changed too. And yeah. I know, you know, I, 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 saw, I, I read and also 
listen to a presentation by this woman, an American researcher who did study on care burden, quote unquote, amongst uh, people in Latin America. And she had used the word burden and they really did not appreciate it because in the context of family, there's no burden. When you're caring for your parents, there's no burden. So when I, you know, when I listened to that and it just like, oh, wow, that is so true. I mean, I, like I said, you know, this is my life. I chose it. I don't see it as a burden. Yeah, it's difficult. It's a heavy load. Uh, physically and, and in all aspects, it's a heavy load, but I don't see it as a burden. Well, and you know, what I love was that community was strong enough to say, don't use that word. That's not, yeah. how, that's not how we see it. And I do, I, I totally agree with that. I think we have to change the mindset to get to one of a heart set, you know, and to really get into oh, that, like that. that relationship base. Like I don't use, I don't, I don't use the word often person-centered care because I think it's too task-oriented. I like to use the term relationship-based because then I think more people understand what the heck that means, you know? 100% agree. I, I have issues with person-centered care because where do I fit in? Yeah. What about my needs? Mm-hmm. What about my relationship with, with my mother? Yeah. That just disappears. I, thank you for bringing that up. I really like it and I agree with you 100%. Yeah, well, I just think it's overused and underdelivered. You know, it was one of those key terms. Everyone's like, we're gonna, we're gonna say we do that now, <laughs> but but do we do that? And do we know what that really means? You know, yeah. for most people, yeah. a lot of times, person-centered care is still very task-oriented, and you know, I found, and I don't know if you found this. I, I, I my guess is you have, but when you focus on the emotional needs that's, that's when things start going smooth. You know, that's where, when the burden lifts, you know, and I have a, um, I take the word caregiver when I'm speaking and I put it into car and e-giver and car stands for conscious awakening of relationships. And the e-giver is about emotional giving, you know, and, you know, we've heard, for you know ever it's not what we do it's how we make people feel and it's no different with dementia or anybody else in your life you know that's you're going to be remembered for how you make somebody feel absolutely and this is particularly pertinent with persons living with dementia mm-hmm. because they may not remember the events they may not remember what happened but they would remember how you make them do is I know that people who come to visit my mom Mm -hmm. she would insist I sit next to her and there are people who visit and she's like you go away this is my visitor you just go away Mm -hmm. so I can tell the difference and I wonder what had happened you know what did this these are all you know close friends and family members like what happened you know there must be something that she remembered what you did or you made her feel that (laughs) She doesn't want to be with you, just you and her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the like, questions too that I wanted to ask you with your advocacy work, you're caring for your mom full-time. So how are you doing your advocacy work for others? My advocacy work, Lori, is my respite. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I think the 
moment I learned that as a care partner, I'm at a higher risk of developing dementia myself. Mm-hmm. That was a light bulb moment. I thought, you know, things got to change. I need to take care of myself first. And one of the things, you know, besides the physical, all the, you know, loving yourself and stuff like that, I do respite. I do uh, activities that keeps my mind going because I think that is important to keep my, my, my cells going and to protect yep. myself from cognitive impairment. Um, so, but I have personal experience and I have professional experience that are very relevant to this work. And I knew with that combination that I will do advocacy work, but I wanted to focus on my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that, you know, this advocacy work I could do later. But several events that happened that I thought, I can't wait. If this could happen to us, if it, this could happen to me and I'm resourceful, you know, I know my rights and I will confront people to claim my rights. I wonder what happened to those who would not question others. And, and my mom nearly missed early diagnosis. But I insisted, and I, I remember go, going back to see the doctor, and then I said, you think after 15 minutes sitting with my mom, she doesn't have, it's nothing wrong with her? I'm with her almost on a daily basis. I'm her daughter. I know my rights. As a citizen, I know her rights. Could you please get us a referral? And at that time, Lori, I wondered how many people fall through the cracks. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I know here, I, and like with my folks, they had a doctor of 40 years and they trusted that doctor. That doctor didn't know squat about dementia. I mean, and my mom was told for 10 years that it was her hormones for 10 oh years. Yeah. And then we had to, you know, kind of really, really, really push things because we didn't really know what was going on either. And, you know, that was 40 years ago. And so people talked yeah. about dementia much less as well. So it's, um, but yeah, you really do have to be a strong advocate and follow your gut. If you're thinking something's off, push, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know, if, if, if this cannot wait, if this mm-hmm. is happening to me, it could be happening to everybody else. And also I, you know, I, I learned from, listening to the experiences of, of other care partners mm-hmm. and so on 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 zoom meetings or sharing sessions I look at some of the faces and I thought oh gosh you know if I could only give you a hug you, you know you, ha- you can tell from the tone even the facial expression people cry and I thought you know if if, if my mom can live well with dementia given the right environment and support, why not share it with others? Mm-hmm. And, and, and knowing, you know, again, like I said, I have the professional experience, which was a lot to do with advocacy. I thought this cannot wait. So that's how it propelled me. And I think that moment was in 2019, also because, you know, 2020, um, 
that I was really, really upset that we were invited by a big private hospital to get the COVID vaccination. They mm -hmm. called us and I went through the whole production of getting my mom to the hospital only to be denied a vaccination without a proper explanation. And I remember, Laurie, my mom sitting there on her wheelchair, slumped because, you know, she was holding on to go to the toilet. Mm -hmm. It looked unfamiliar, so she just couldn't do it. She was slumped, not knowing what to do. And we had people running around with masks on and she was spitting and, and nobody came really to apologize or to tell us what was going on. And we left the hospital without getting a vaccination. Oh. And I wrote to them, yeah, I wrote to the medical doctor, completely ignored us, right? The, just didn't bother to answer. So I wrote an article and it got published. It got picked up by quite a number of, of news portals. And suddenly the geriatrician who had seen my mom and who knows that this kind of an outing is going to trigger her and it could go on for weeks. She then called and I refused to answer the phone. She left a message and asked me what's going on because apparently there are things going around and she was referring to the article I wrote. And I got a response and they responded to the article that I wrote. And Lori, they included my mother's name. Oh my gosh. I was livid. And I just thought, what were you thinking? Oh. You know, it could, it first, it breached privacy, confidentiality. I was going to say, don't you have HIPAA over there? <laughs> yeah, they lost. They lost against this. Oh. And for you, for a hospital, to expose your patients in the public domain, particularly somebody with cognitive impairment, mm -hmm. which could expose them to harm and exploitation. Mm -hmm. I worked with my nephew, who's a lawyer, and I wrote a legally worded letter. And I demanded, so he told me, put the word demanded, right? Mm -hmm. So I did that. I demanded that they retract that's my mother's name. Mm -hmm. um, and I demanded a public apology. So the hospital itself didn't respond, but the regional director, because this is a huge uh, hospital chain all over Malaysia, the regional director wrote to me and apologized, and they had retracted the whole article. But they wanted me to keep it quiet and not issue a public apology. So I went back to them and I said, here's the deal. I will accept the private apology if you work with me in creating awareness about dementia and the rights of people living with dementia and care partners. They went quiet. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do my advocacy work now. So that's how it propelled me 
to start writing. Um, I then also, because strategically, I liaised uh, or I formed alliances with persons with lived experience of living with disabilities, uh, women's groups, uh, legal minds, because the numbers in Malaysia is still pretty small. I think it, at this point, maybe about 300,000 people living with dementia. So if you were to do, do an advocacy for that small, well, small mm -hmm. compared to like, you know, in the U.S., um, it could be challenging. So I formed the strategic alliance with, with the disability colleagues. And I take this opportunity to thank them because I think without that liaison, mm -hmm. I don't think we would have achieved the, the success stories we have had in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a lot to learn from the disability movement and I work in HIV and AIDS globally. And I think we also, the, the advocacy, uh, the dementia advocacy has a lot to learn from the success stories of HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so, so my advocacy work is both top down, where we look at, we push for policies or legal reforms um, and programs that look at dementia as a disability. And the reason why it's important to couch dementia as a disability, because it is a disability. Mm -hmm. It is, um, although not explicitly mentioned in the convention uh, uh, for the rights of persons with disabilities, the definition clearly applies to persons living with dementia. And that gives us this framework where we could claim for our for rights of persons with, with dementia. So we're pushing it from that side. And the way I look at dementia is that it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Dementia, there's intersectionalities of dementia with aging because it mostly affects older people, but not a normal part of aging. Um, and because you know it affects uh, it affects older adults who are also you know prone to disability, and dementia is a leading cause of disability amongst older adults living with with, with dementia. So, um, and and the other component, the intersectionality is gender more women live with dementia than men simply because you know it affects older mostly older adults and women live longer so they form a larger group of, of older adults um, women also have less education compared to men and less education is a risk factor for dementia um, women make um the most proportion of care partners and it's often you know in, in in many countries not just in Malaysia it is a family member mm -hmm. and we are 
this is you know driven by entrenched gender roles which women have also internalized so we kind of like you know just take up that responsibility but it, it it's it's a huge responsibility right which has impact on us physically emotionally socially and financially and and you know the global data shows that two-thirds of informal care partners globally are women. And if we look at the, the contribution, our contribution accounts for half of the estimated 1.3 trillion US dollars, the cost of dementia care. And it's gonna rise to 2.8 trillion in 2030. And informal care partners contribute 133 billion unpaid hours on a yearly basis. And women provide 70, around 70% of informal care. Now, now, that 133 billion unpaid care hours is equivalent to 66 million full-time workers per year. I mean, to me, these numbers are mind-boggling. And and yet I'm a firm believer those numbers aren't accurate, that there's more people out there that aren't counted yet, that haven't gotten diagnosed. So as high as they are and as big as they are, they're still probably on the low side. Um, because there's so many families that that don't have a formal diagnosis, and absolutely. So, 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 it, but, but you know, if you look at the numbers and the trillions and the billions, and yet we are tra- we are taken for granted. Yeah, we are expected to do this very demanding work with very little support, if any, mm-hmm. without training. Um, so basically, we are overworked, unpaid, unrecognized. We are invisible. <laughs> yeah, well, we really are. And that's one of the reasons I kind of stepped into Alzheimer's Speaks, too, because I wanted to raise the voice of the person with dementia and their care partners, because I got tired of being talked down to. I got tired of my mother, not, my mother not even being valued in terms of her opinion yeah. at all. Many times not even given eye contact, like you said, totally invisible. And then they put up with me and what I'd say, but it'd go. And, but it wasn't really, wasn't really heard. And I thought, man, you are missing out on such, and not me personally, but you are missing out on such valuable information of people in the trenches that live and breathe this every single day. And you're just poo-pooing that like they don't know anything. And they're the ones really doing the work. They're, they're seeing things, they're touching things, they're, you know, they're, they're absorbing the reality of this disease. And so I wanted to be able to give voice to people all over the world because I don't think that we can make sustainable change if we're not inclusive of everybody and not valuing one over the other. Because again, I think a lot of times the families are teaching the doctors that 
every person with dementia is different. No, mine doesn't. My, my person doesn't do that. Absolutely. They, they, they do this. And so we need to be able to support families so that their voices are stronger because they are, in my mind, the true educators on a, on a multitude of levels and they, they need to be heard. Um, Absolutely. And what you just summarized, mm -hmm. Lori, that's what make us experts. Mm -hmm. Because we live through the trial and error. And if you do not, if you don't listen to this pool of expertise, just because we don't have, quote, unquote, qualification, mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for failure. Right? Yeah. And that's exactly what we're pushing is um, engage meaningful engagement of persons living with dementia and care partners and not just giving them that space so that they can engage, but putting in the resources to empower them. They need to be empowered so that they can become effective advocates. Because it's not fair to throw people into a position without empowering them. So that's one of the key theme, the advocacy themes for me and my colleagues. Um, the other is pushing for dementia as a disability and, and from the social disability model. And this model really paves the way for persons living with dementia, persons living with different dis other disabilities and care partners to, to a life of dignity, to engage and to claim their right to engage as equal citizens. And I think once we have a foot in the door through our engagement, we can make a lot of the changes that needs to be made. Um, but also look, so in in this in this in Malaysia and in most part of the world, the response to dementia is from the charity and medical model, which mm -hmm. really, you know, that doesn't make make sense because beyond the diagnosis and beyond medication, if you cho choose medication, there's nothing much the health system can help you out with. The yep. care takes place mostly in the homes. The care takes place with the daily challenges that, and disabilities. So if you, the response is in the medical model, which looks at the person with dementia as the problem. Mm -hmm. They're not the problem. No. The problem is the socially constructed barriers that are out there that prevents them from engaging from accessing services. So look, looking or advocating from the social disability model is saying that the society has to change. The society has to adapt mm -hmm. to persons living with, uh, with, with disabilities, including persons with dementia. And we are also pushing for care partners. I experience, to a large extent, this stigma and the challenges that my mom and my friends who are living with dementia experience. But nobody talks about us because we're invisible, mm -hmm. right? And I thought, and, and 
I listened to a webinar on women and disabilities. And I thought, you know what? Those kinds of challenges <laughs> apply to me too. Yeah. So that is when we, I started asking questions, but what about us? What about care partners? So now we are pushing for care partners to be paid. Mm-hmm. We, are pu- we are pushing for reforms in the person, Persons with Disability Act in Malaysia um, to also include care partners in it. We're pushing for care partners to get paid. Um, and interestingly, what's started here in Malaysia had its origin, for me at least, given the space, and, and I have to thank, my, again, my disability colleagues for giving me that space to speak to a group of women, mostly lawyers, and, and um, what, most of them have, have uh, lived experience. Talking to them, there were six of us, and out of six, five of us had lived experience. And I thought, wow. wow. So, you know, there was a connection. And from there, I was asked to speak at the um, Asia Pacific, um, sorry, the, the uh, Economic Social Commission in Asia Pacific, which was, which kind of housed the um, decade for persons with disability in in. The- uh, which had um, about 62 governments. So that, Laurie, when you know, when you're seen as a care partner, and you said, you know, even you have something smart to say, people just like, Shh, don't take you seriously. It affects your morale. It affects your confidence. But having to go, you know, being given that opportunity to speak at an expert group meeting with with a person living with dementia and advocating for person living with dementia, advocating for dementia and for care partners, really, you know, it boosted up my ego, you know, my, my confidence. And, and from there, I continued with this journey. And this region, Asia, Asia and the Pacific, is the only region that has four decades of um, uh, persons with disability. And they, they are going to go on another decade, 22 to 32. And for the first time when they had the high-level meeting, the civil society organization had put in care partners and dementia. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, it may seem like a small achievement, but looking at that this is a membership, this is a huge platform where it can go. And that just putting in, being mentioned, to me, is a great success. Oh, the validation. Yeah. Absolutely. And bringing it home in Malaysia, for the first time, too, in the convention for the elimination of discrimination against women, where the civil society put out a shadow report, Mm -hmm. again, for the first time, we put in care partners. And we're questioning the state what mechanisms they have to protect us, including being paid. Oh, that's so great. Have you it's ever absolutely 
Oh, go ahead. Okay, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, have you ever seen the video that Cameron Camp did? He works a lot with Montessori uh, that is... He talks about, you know, what if uh, Alzheimer's, I think he used the term Alzheimer's because it was before we were really even using the word dementia, if I'm not mistaken. But he said, what if it was a syndrome? What if it was like Down syndrome, you know, and it was viewed as a disability and stuff. And I remember watching that, oh, years and years ago and thinking, yeah, that's really how it should be framed. Um, we would We would be making much more progress. The other thing you had talked about, you know, connecting people to resources. And I'm just going to give a plug to Dementia Map, which is a global resource yeah. directory. Um, you know, and we would love everyone to be listed in there. We're not putting anybody in. We want you to put yourself in so you're in control of what yeah. is in there. But, you know, what we have found, um, which I found really interesting too, was we have more small to mid-sized businesses that people have never ever heard of before. And they're shocked at how many, how many um, support services are out there, but we need our big yeah. organizations in there as well. Cause a lot of people, when this hits them, they don't know that information either. And if we could get this into, you know, doctor's offices, I mean, just think if you were given resources, how that would change the diagnosis. You would walk instead of going to the car and crying for two hours because you're devastated and can't even drive. It's just unbelievable. I want you to talk about the nonprofit entity, you know, that sure. you are creating you, uh, uniquely me initiatives and why you felt it was important. Okay. Um, so uniquely me initiatives, like you said, it is a, it's a nonprofit entity. It, it goes back to what you said earlier, um, Lori, that, you know, we're not taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And I've been knocking on people's door and, and wanting to contribute um, and not getting the response or, or just being, you know, I, I get a, a response and then I feel like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm just a token participant here. That does not feel good. Um, so I thought... Fine, you know, I've been asking for a seat at the table. If you're not going to give me that seat, I'm going to create my own table. Yeah, I'm resourceful. You know, I have the, the, the experiences. I'm going to set up this table. And this table is not for me. I'm going to invite persons living with dementia. I'm going to invite care partners and supporters to sit at the table. Because like we, you know, like I agree with you, Lori. We have valuable contributions to make we are also the experts um so that's that's how it started out of that frustration that i felt um and thinking that you know if if i set up something like this i can bring in people we can control the narrative yeah. and i think you know this too many people with that lived experiences are talking on our behalf. And the focus has often been on the tragedy narrative. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. So I wanted to, you know, to, to control that narrative. Um, the name UMI's Uniquely Me Initiative, it is also in response to each dementia experience is unique 
So therefore, each response has to be unique. So that's how I got that name. But UMI is Umi in Arabic. It means my mother. So this is in honor of my mother because she is the motivation behind this. And also, she has always been the person, if I have something, Mm -hmm. I want others to have it too. So when I look at her and I thought, you know, she is able to live well with dementia because I'm supporting her and I've been blessed with the resources to get myself trained to find that support. Um, And I'm going to give this back because she has taught me what you have, particularly the, you know, basically the good ones that you have in life, give it back. Because again, you know, going back to looking at the faces of care partners, I thought if I can change and make a difference in one person's life, you know, maybe that's my purpose too. Yeah. And and so earlier I said, you know, my strategy is twofold: one top down, which is the policy and the program, and the bottom up. That this in itself, it's advocacy that a care partner who people poo-poo away mm-hmm. can set up something like this, can organize others to join. And we, we can take care of ourselves too. I mean, yes, we need the biggest support, which is the responsibility of the state and the community because a response to disability, including dementia, needs whole of society response. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, each one of us can be the agent for change oh, and, and I, that's what yeah I so agree with you we have so much in common in terms of how we're driven and, and how we approach things I I personally haven't gotten into the policy stuff because I yeah. I get really frustrated with the bureaucracy so I'm kind of a grassroots yeah. girl <laughs> so that I can kind of control what I'm doing but yeah, when you yeah, talked yeah. about controlling the narrative and, and changing the narrative yeah. that's out there is really important well I, I can't thank you enough for for taking the time you have with us today Sharifa this has just been absolutely um, fascinating and you are really a gift to the world you can feel your passion and your drive and you are so centered you know your core foundation I mean you just really really understand this and we need more and more people like you in the world to to make uh to make the world a better place and so often I think people fight dementia is not that important but you know what's good for dementia is good for all the world you can apply it to many other areas of your life if you're you know, raising a child or in a relationship or single. I mean, there's just so many things that can be applied for our, our community here. I hope that you like, click and share. Um, This is just a, I think a really uplifting and insightful episode and you can help spread hope. You know, all it takes is a, a click, a like, a share. I mean, it's nanoseconds of your time to push out to your circle you know, in, in be empowered to, to help spread the word, you know, be part of the community of change, be that change agent uh, that Sharifa is talking about. We can, we can all do that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to cost us money. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. 
And you could even say, well, I, no one in my circle is dealing yeah. with this. You don't know that. Yeah. So many people Absolutely. sit quietly and you don't know it until a crisis hits. And we want to help yeah. avoid those, those crises. So be a giver of hope and help spread the word. And again, you can contact her on Instagram as dementia and then underscore as underscore is. Uh, she is on uh, both LinkedIn and Twitter and also on her email. And again, we will have all that, you know, in the, in the show notes there for you to be able to uh, just click and, and go right to her and connect. You're just doing wonderful work. So again, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Sharifa, for, for being with us and, and for, you know, in some ways I'm personally thankful. This sounds probably goofy for the tsunami that triggered you to, to change roles. Yeah. Because yeah. you wouldn't be doing what you're doing probably without that right now. Absolutely. So, and I think you touched on, you know, something so huge that devastation mm -hmm. could also be a blessing. Again, yeah. how you perceive it. So thank you for bringing that up. And thank you, Lori, for you, all the work that you do. And it's people like you who inspires me to keep going. Um, so thank you for that. It's been such an honor to be on your show and finding so much in common in terms of our thinking and the work that we do. So that has been a gift too. So thank you so much, Lori. Well, we're in this together. And absolutely. Uh, and I think we're, we're all equal, equal in our abilities. And I think all of our opinions are important to, to be heard. And, you know, Alzheimer Speaks here just wants to help, help elevate those voices because otherwise, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in, in Minnesota in the U.S. and I didn't travel much, you know, and now all of a sudden I'm talking with people all around the world. This disease changes people's lives and what we can learn from one another next door or you know across the pond wherever it is that we have so many things that are in common and i think so often today the news focuses on our differences but our differences are blessings um and when we learn about those things you know we're, we're not so scared um we get rid of our judgment and we realize yeah. boy we've got a lot more stuff in common and we can really help one another out by, by sharing our own story. So I would absolutely really encourage people to step up and step out and, and don't be ashamed or embarrassed that you're dealing with this, you know, tell your story. It's the only way we're going to get you um, services, products, and tools. It's the only way we're going to get policies changed is by people coming out and, and speaking honestly on what their needs are. So Again, thank you so much. This has just been an honor to have you on our show. Um, appreciate your time. Thank you, Lori. To our audience, I just want to say again, for more resources, we have our free educational resource page. Please go to alzheimerspeaks.com or visit Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory where we have 150 categories you can search. Uh, there's terms that you might not know, <laughs> you know, so check out the glossary. <laughs> Uh, there's a blog with wonderful articles, and there's also a calendar of events that you can access as well. And you have to give us no personal information. Um, we are your friend, um, and we want to work with you, and we don't want you to be scared anymore. 
we're all in this together. So thank you, everyone. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.